and welcome to the sixth episode of That's One for the History Books. I'm Marty Cohn. My good friend, you, Ryan, and I are profiling Americans who made important contributions to our country, but who have not received the popular credit that we think they deserve. Our subject today is Kate Warren, the first female private detective in American history who is central to foiling the Baltimore plot of 1861. You, what was the Baltimore plot? It was a determined scheme to assassinate President-elect Abraham Lincoln before he could even be inaugurated. Baltimore, Maryland was the final stop on Lincoln's journey after the election from his home in Springfield, Illinois to Washington, DC. The journey was to take 13 days over 2,000 miles by train. Although Maryland did not join the Confederacy, it was a slave state, and Lincoln had finished fourth in the presidential election in that state, garnering less than 2.5% of the vote. Baltimore itself was very proud of its status as the largest city in the South. It seethes with racial tension, in the words of Frederick Douglass. Every city where Lincoln stopped on his journey to Washington greeted him very warmly with a reception if not even a parade, every city it except, that is, Baltimore. There was to be no official greeting there. And in fact, the police chief said he couldn't even guarantee Lincoln's safety, remarking that he had no spare police officers. So wait a minute. Even if the train was traveling at only 25 miles per hour, 13 days seems like a long time to cover 2,000 miles. Why did it take so long? Well, the route was not direct. And the travel was often interrupted by stops along the way in cities and towns where Lincoln was popular, where he would greet and address his supporters. Furthermore, they plotted a circuitous route that was designed to avoid hotbeds of sympathy with the Confederacy. But Baltimore was one such city that they could not circumvent because all tracks to the District of Columbia from points north ran through Baltimore. Lincoln was scheduled to arrive in that city during daylight hours on February 23rd. So how was the plot supposed to unfold? To understand the answer to that question, you have to know how travel was accomplished from Philadelphia to Washington at that time. All trains from the north into Baltimore terminated at the Calvert Street Station. The tracks from Baltimore down to Washington originated at the Camden Street Station, one mile away. Lincoln's party, would have to travel that one mile in a railroad car, drawn very slowly by horses along city streets in broad daylight. Both the route and the time were published, so it was familiar to everyone, including the plotters. It was on that one mile stretch of the 1200 mile journey that Lincoln would be the most vulnerable. But, but wouldn't Lincoln be safe inside the train car as it, as it was towed from one station to the other? No, and keep in mind, Lincoln was going to be traveling very slowly on a known route at a known time through hostile territory. A mob of the size and lethality that was forming could have easily overwhelmed Lincoln's small security detail. There was a strong possibility that the president-elect of the United States would be beaten to death or outright lynched in downtown Baltimore before he could even take the oath of office. Why was the security detail so inadequate to the, to the situation? What about the Secret Service, the Army, uh, the Baltimore police? 
Well, the Secret Service hadn't even been established yet. Lincoln would do that as president. He refused to use federal troops for protection because he was afraid it would make him look like a tyrant or a dictator. The secessionist sentiment was so strong in Baltimore that the police were expected to stand aside for the mob, if not join the mob themselves. Lincoln had acquiesced at the outset of his journey to a small detail of private detectives from the nation's first private detective firm, founded by Alan Pinkerton. That detail crucially included Pinkerton's first female detective, indeed the first known female detective in the nation's history, the 28-year-old Kate Warren. So how did Lincoln's team secure his safe passage through Baltimore? And what was Kate Warren's role? On February 18th, Warren had traveled to New York City to brief Norman Judd, who was an important supporter of Lincoln's, on the plot. Judd, Alan Pickerton, Warren herself, and others described to Lincoln the plots that were forming against his life. In one meeting, it's kind of amusing, a Pinkerton operative brought in to Lincoln some intelligence documents that Kate Warren had sewn into the lining of his jacket. She did that so that the reports would not fall into the wrong hands if the operative was intercepted en route to Lincoln's suite. You can imagine the scene when he arrived with Lincoln and his chief advisors. He removed his coat, he tore out the lining, and handed Lincoln the details of the plot to kill him. Lincoln chuckled and said, I see you've delivered the mail. It took hearing reports from several people that Lincoln trusted to get him to accept the very, the very existence of the plot and to agree to take some extraordinary precautions. So how did they discover not only the existence and broad outline of the plot, but the specific details? Through espionage by a variety of agents and Lincoln allies, very prominently including Kate Warren, she assumed aliases and she masqueraded as a young upper-class Southern belle, complete with costumes, social mannerisms, and accent. She maneuvered through the social elite circles of Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia. She used her youthful good looks and her charm, both of which were considerable, to wheedle information from both men and women. Men wanted to impress her, and women wanted to, be to befriend her. And the currency in which they paid for her attention was information. She and other Lincoln agents and allies eased out the Baltimore plot in detail. So, so they knew what was planned, but they could not alter the route. So how did they get Lincoln through Baltimore safely? Through two subterfuges. One, Lincoln assumed a false identity and a disguise. And two, they accelerated the schedule so that he would transit Baltimore at night, several hours ahead of when the plotters expected him and when the plotters would be sound asleep. The acceleration of his schedule began in Harrisburg, capital of Pennsylvania, where Lincoln had traveled to meet with the governor and to address a joint session of the state legislature. He snuck out of the city earlier than planned. He substituted a soft workman's cap for his signature stovepipe hat and wrapped himself in a shawl, feigning sickness. He boarded a train to Philadelphia to maintain the secrecy of the accelerated schedule, a senior railroad official severed all telegraph lines serving Harrisburg, effectively cutting the capital city off from the rest of the country. Kate Warren awaited him in Philadelphia, where she had reserved four berths on a sleeper car to Baltimore. 
She told the porter that she was meeting her brother to travel with him and friends to DC. She further told the reporter that her brother was sick and tipped the porter 50 cents to, par to partition their four berths, which were at the back of the train car off from the rest of travelers. So wait, neither the porter nor anyone else who happened to be in the area, possibly including spies for the Baltimore plotters, knew that it was Lincoln boarding the train? That's exactly right, they didn't. When Lincoln arrived, Warren greeted him like a loving sister, very solicitous for his health, because remember he was pretending to be sick, and he was whisked into the back door of the sleeper car and into their private suite of four berths. In her Pinkerton Agency After Action Report, Warren would write that Lincoln greeted her in a very informal, friendly way, which is consistent with his manner with everyone, regardless of their station in life. She also reported that he was unusually tall, too tall to stretch out in the berth, and homely in appearance. Incidentally, those are inconsistent. Those are consistent with everyone's description of him. As the train pulled out of Philadelphia for Point South, Warren, armed with a pistol, stood guard all night over the man who would be our greatest president. It is said that Pinkerton Agency's motto, We Never Sleep, originated in Kate Warren's dedication to Abraham Lincoln that night. So, so what happened when they reached Baltimore? Well, happily nothing. Because of the lateness of the hour, the unexpected time of arrival, and the secrecy surrounding the identity of the important passenger, Lincoln's train was detached from the engine, pulled by horses through dark, empty streets to the Camden Street Station, where it was hitched to a train to Washington. By the time the plotters awoke, the president-elect's train was steaming toward the nation's capital. So a gigantic anti-climax, exactly what was hoped for. Right. So let, let's go back for a minute to Kate Warren's thing as a privileged Southern belle. Was she born to wealth in Northern Virginia? <laughs> no, she was born to poverty in rural upstate New York. But if she was a poor woman from rural New York State, how did she learn to pose as a genteel Southern belle? Practice is the short answer. One of her first assignments for Pinkerton was investigating the embezzlement of $50,000, the equivalent of almost $1 million today, from an investment firm in Montgomery, Alabama. She befriended the wife, the wife of the prime suspect, collecting information that led to his conviction. This was two years before Lincoln was elected, and it was where she began to learn how to affect a Southern accent. She developed into being one of Pinkerton's best detectives. Her success led to his hiring more women for these jobs and putting her in charge of all of them. So how, how did Warren originally get connected with Pinkerton? <laughs> By answering a help wanted ad in the newspaper. Pinkerton advertised for secretaries and private detectives, and he assumed that Kate was looking for clerical work when she appeared in his office one morning clutching his newspaper ad. He was stunned when she said she wanted to be a detective. He told her he'd never had a female detective or even considered the possibility, but as far as he knew, no one else had either. Kate told him, men will brag about themselves to pretty women. They will divulge information to me that they'd never tell a male agent. And I can also establish friendship and trust with women. So they will tell me things that they'd never tell even their husbands let alone a male intelligence agent. Pinkerton hired her on the spot. So did she continue her work as a Pinkerton agent after Lincoln's inauguration? Yes. 
Shortly after the shelling of Fort Sumter, the onset of Civil War, Major General George McClellan commissioned the Pinkerton firm to conduct espionage in the Confederate States. Once again, Warren adopted false personas and moved as a Confederate sympathizer through society, gathering intelligence for the Union Army. After the war, she cracked a major bank robbery case, capturing a felon who had murdered a teller and absconded with $130,000. So did she have a, a long and successful career? Sadly, no. She died of pneumonia in 1868 at just 34 years old, with Pinkerton, Alan Pinkerton, at her bedside. He buried her in his family's plot in Graceland Cemetery in Chicago. But in her short life, she had played a central role in saving the life of a man who would change for the better the course of American history. Thanks for listening to this edition of That's One for the History Books. The music, Hat to Jazz by Twin Musicom, is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. I'm Marty Cohn with my co-host, you Ryan. Stay healthy. Thank you.